I'm Megan. I'm Tyler. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Hey, Tyler. Hey, Megan. How are you? Good. It's good to see you back for season two, episode 12, The Injury. We are halfway through season two. It's crazy. Yeah, I. it's shocking how much progress we've made, honestly. I really do feel like we are coming into the show now. Like, Watching this episode, I was like, this is the, like, it felt like they're hitting a stride or something at this point in the season. Mm-hmm. Why? Like, what made, what gave you that feeling? I don't know. So, something about the mixture of, like, uh, Michael's, you know, like, I felt like we get some classic Michael here of him being, a, you know, uh, an attention-seeking dick. And then also really, 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 really funny. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, not, not so much in I guess kind of endearing, you know, so like, yeah. I feel like they've got the balance of that, but also the fact that Dwight is acting out of character means we have established his character hmm. enough yeah, to know, you point. know, so I was kind of like, oh, they're, they're playing and, and it's kind of interesting to be halfway. Also, this is a long season. TV shows long season. Yeah. used to have a lot longer <laughs> seasons. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Those were the days. Well, this episode is going to give us a lot to talk about. Shall we jump right into our revisions and regrets? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Do you have any? No. Man, your your mind is so clean and free. I'm free. <laughs> yeah, I really need to think more about this before we record. Because every, every episode, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to come back to that in the revisions yeah. and regrets. And then as soon as we hit uh, end on the call, I'm like, well, I forgot. What was that? I think I was supposed to look up something about um, Tony Robbins or something like that. I can't remember. Anyway. there might Yeah, there might have been a Tony Robbins research follow-up. Yeah, I guess I just um, continue to dwell over my regrets <laughs> and my revisions. So I have two, two categories, I would say. One of those categories will further subdivide into two more. Uh, but I have one formal regret and one more of a content revision. My formal regret is my internet connection has been giving me trouble and it is really suggesting low quality on this podcast last week. So I apologize for that and I'm hoping for a better run this time. We'll try and figure it out. I think the quality of your insights and your (laughs) charm and your wit, I really think that that out, um, what out, out, uh, it matters more than than okay. uh, skits and stutters on the internet. Um, but it's like a, a tattered book that is in horrible shape, but that still bears <laughs> good, good news. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, revealing that we are not in a fancy studio. Big surprise. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> my other more content revision, though, goes back to my theory of men. And <laughs> I think I went too far and needed to revise and modify. So that was when I said that basically the kind of man you should be with is a man who has felt the sting of rejection. Mm -hmm. And I think I went too far in that. I think I was too harsh in my critique of Roy and in my celebration of the not Roy, not cool in high school guy. Mm. And in this case, it would be Jim and it would be Pam and her artsy turtlenecks. And I feel like I should clarify and kind of qualify this because experience with rejection does not necessarily make you more sensitive or less self-centered. See, for example, Columbine or 
any school shooting ever. So I sort of quickly came to that strong counter example of the very different directions people go from rejection. And that gives us a rich list of people who you do not want to date. So, so you're saying your comment on the office podcast didn't account for uh, every, (laughs) every situation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I'm so disappointed in you. Yeah. I I don't know if we can keep going. (laughs) I found it did not account for school shooters. And um, that really led me to overgeneralize about the effects of rejection. (laughs) I will say, okay, not to, um, not, not to invalidate, you know, the fact that people uh, experience rejection and then turn into monsters or, uh, or that they weaponize their um, yeah, yeah. humiliation, you know, but I will say there is a really great book on Columbine that I, re- did I ever tell you about this? Have I ever no. forced you to read this book? I, I'm like blanking on the name, so I will have to mention it in the revisions and regrets next time, but Good. I'll make a like, note for you. I think it's straight up just called Columbine and it's by yeah. like a journalist. And anyway, what's interesting about the book is it undermines this, the um, narrative that they were bullied mm-hmm. and that they were bullies or they were bullied who, and their like kind of uh, act was a kind of revenge against being social outcasts. It actually shows um, that they were uh, not quite they weren't actually social outcasts and they, and they weren't really bullied. And in fact, they were the bullies and they um, also had these grandiose kind of um, fascist white supremacist views and that they, you know, um, you know, of course, like maybe some of that comes out of some, you know, sense of inferiority or, or, or whatever. Um, uh, But nonetheless, uh, you know, uh, it has always interested me too. you know, to think like, huh, yeah. like that's one story was really easy to tell, like the bully yeah. fighting back. And what if um, it's harder to sort of imagine them as like pure sadists? Um, yeah. Anyway, one other thing that's actually super cool about that book is it articulates their different um, or, it, you know, it tries to think about their different um, mental states um, and sort of sees one of them as a straight up psychopath and one as like a manic depressive um, Anyway, so I can't believe I'm talking about Columbine now, but I do, I see your point. I guess though, I want I liked your theory and I think it's true. We like, maybe we could just qualify and say people who experienced rejection and then internalized it into a crushing sense of insecurity. Yes, exactly. That's hot. Rather than, that's hot. Rather than putting <laughs> their insecurities on other people and having these sort of, because maybe you're showing and maybe that book shows their like delusions of inferiority that are turned into horrible, horrible violence when they haven't actually been put in that position. So, so yeah, let's just say that it's a, it's a qualified theory. It does not cover all cases or all people who think of themselves as rejected. Mm, mm. It does, it does cover some cases. Did you get a strongly worded email or something? I'm curious. Did, uh... No, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> my, only from my inner self. Oh, good, 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 good. Yeah. yeah. I was offended <laughs> and responded accordingly. So I said in that one, I went too far, but I want to say that in another area, I did not go far enough. Mm. And that was in my critique of Captain Jack. And this is what I want to say. The man who jumped overboard was his fault, not Michael's fault. What? It was Captain Jack's fault. Say more. 
This was a booze cruise. The job of the captain is not to be getting it on in his little captain closet. He is supposed to be there. He is responsible for the safety of everyone on board that ship. Mm. It is a booze cruise. People are expected to be drinking and acting like fools. Mm -hmm. So what you actually have to do is plan for people like Michael Scott to say the boat is sinking and you have to be prepared. That's an interesting, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I think he's the true villain of that episode, as it turns out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to revision and regret this again next week. (laughs) (laughs) I want you to come back and be like, look, what I said about booze cruise captains (laughs) doesn't apply to all, hashtag not all booze cruises. (laughs) Not all party captains. (laughs) I mean, I totally see your point. On the other hand, why am I like trying to play devil's advocate to your do it? I just don't want you to feel regret, man. But yeah, please. You know what? You're you're making a really interesting point though, because I guess I'm like, is there a difference between a party captain and the captain of the booze cruise? Is the booze cruise captain meant to be the like DD, like the the sober one who kind of makes sure everybody's safe? Or is, is he more like a, like a social event? You know, he's the one who does limbo and makes everybody get drunk. Um, Either way, he shouldn't, shouldn't be off with Meredith. And as you said, his, I like that you called it his captain's closet. (laughs) (laughs) Throwing shade at his, at his little baby quarters. I'm going to definitely have to revise that when I find out what that captain's area is actually called, because I'm sure it has some important official ship name. Mm, yeah. You know. And I'm sure we have a lot of ship listeners, you know, people, <laughs> people really invested in. I would love it. Could you imagine if somebody, well, first, if anybody listened to us, but then secondly, if the person who listened to us was like, um, so I looked up the boat and it is model, ship model, whatever, which was manufactured in such and such, whatever. And like, actually those quarters are called this and they're very spacious. That would be, I would, I would be so impressed and excited. I'd be like, please be my friend. Yes. I hope that listener is out there. If you are, please come forward. Okay, so if that is it on our revisions and regrets, shall I move to the summary? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so this episode, season two, episode 12, The Injury, and here is our NBC summary. Michael demands attention from the entire office after he accidentally cooks his foot on a George Foreman grill. Now, I found another summary. I thought I'd just put it on here so we could play with this question of what summaries do or don't reveal. So this one was like the Google summary, which I think might be from IMDb, but it says, Michael has a mishap with a George Foreman mini grill and burns his foot, but the rest of the staff are not too sympathetic. His attention seeking also masks a more serious injury sustained by another employee. Oh, I've got to tell you, I do not like that one as much. Yeah, say why. That it masks a more serious injury of another employee. Don't give that away. That's not, I do not think that that is the function of this summary. Yeah. It also is interesting that they don't give away who they say by another employee. That's that's the secret. But it's Mm -hmm. pretty obvious right away that Dwight is, you know, injured. Um, Yeah, that's the point. It's, 
it's interesting this kind of summary too where it's both supposed to sort of be informative but also get you interested potentially mm-hmm. right like it's kind of like a title or kind of like a a sort of hook so you know how much do you tell and how much do you not tell and which elements do you decide to focus on like the mini grill that second <laughs> includes that it's a mini grill which I don't know that that's actually information that we have. No, and if he's putting six strips of bacon on the grill. This is a great I, point. I okay. would have to imagine, because I had, I don't know if you remember when we lived together, I had a little George Foreman mini grill. Mm-hmm. And it definitely not fit six strips of bacon. It might not even fit one if you were to like stretch it out to its, yeah. you know, to whatever length bacon is. Right. <laughs> I don't know. And I don't um, think it would fit his whole foot in the way that his injury suggested unless what they mean by mini grill is not the mini version of the george foreman but that all george foremans are mini grills Um, it's interesting that in both cases we they name george foreman grill like because there is something very funny about that but what i find interesting in the first summary is it's actually funnier it says he accidentally cooks his foot yes (laughs) yes it's a good joke as opposed to um burns his foot uh yeah the word choice is perfect and your thing i think that's a great question of does mini modify like grill in general or does it modify the type of george foreman grill and they said in that summary george foreman mini grill but part of the title is george foreman grill like grill is part of the title right so i i think that there is I think there's a grammatical problem to be unpacked here that is creating a lack of clarity. Do you have a relationship with the George Foreman grill? I do. I do. Yeah. I used to have one. Um, I think I got it when I went to college. Mm-hmm. I believe I had the full size. Well, not the really big one, but it was like, I don't know, the size of a laptop maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Much, much thicker, but I used to cook frozen chicken on it and I liked it because you could put it when it was frozen and it would cook it all the way through. Yeah. It seems really of that era of wanting to eliminate as much fat as possible from everything. Yes. So stupid, but, um, but yeah, it was very much of its, of its time in that way. I did, it did do a little bit of research into the George Foreman grill. Oh my God. It, It debuted in 1994. Really? Yes. That seems earlier than I was thinking. It had it had quite a long run. I mean, I think it's still out there. I don't feel like it still has its cultural dominance. But yeah, introduced in 1994, over 100 million have been sold worldwide. This is all according to Wikipedia, of course. And it was also called the Lean Mean Fat Reducing Grilling Machine. Right, right. And there was another guy who invented it from Illinois, actually. And then George Foreman like tried it out and put his name on it, basically, which is also an interesting thing, how you go from being a boxing champion and right. then like a grill is the thing that you sell. I guess it's that it's lean, mean, and it's supposed to get you into fighting condition. But- right. I don't understand. Okay, so the way... Because I remember that very much. It was like, oh, you get the fat out. How great is that? You know, without really yeah. thinking like, oh, it doesn't it taste better with some of those mm-hmm. <laughs> juices and fats or whatever, but whatever. 
Um, and I had it for the same sort of reason. It's like, you know, I'm in a tiny apartment, you know, and also I didn't really know how to cook. So it's like, you know, it's not like, you know, there was an option really for even a stove, like in the college dorm. Um, but is it just a hot plate? Like, I don't, I never had a hot plate, so I don't know what that is. Like, I think the difference is that this has the top. I think a hot plate is just the one layer. Oh, okay. Cooking on both sides. That's really the innovation. It's angled. It's angled because I remember cleaning it was a pain in the ass. Cleaning it was such a pain. Yeah, and then the fat is like dripping into that little tray, the fat tray. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just love that Michael. I like whoever came up with this concept, which maybe Mindy (laughs) Kaling, she's the writer of this episode. It's just a brilliant brilliant joke and like the idea that I just love the way he says it it's like I like to wait I mean it's like one of I think I think the opening of this episode is like maybe one of the best we've ever seen yes Um, let's get to so let's get to that okay okay we gotta include that Michael interview too that I think you're gonna go to yeah Um, yeah okay so I so I agree this I think is one of the greatest openings ever every time that this episode comes up as I'm doing office rewatches and this comes up in the line, I am so happy. And this beginning is just incredibly delightful. Mm-hmm. So our opening is on the phone, there are like people kind of standing around the office, chatting, whatever, normal day, the phone rings, Dunder Mifflin, this is Pam. And we get that desperate Michael on the phone saying, I'm hurt, I have hurt myself. Oh God, this is not looking good. <laughs> <laughs> so it's an emergency call Tyler what did you think of uh of this phone call uh very initial part I thought it was just really funny how um Pam plays it you know it's like she goes from well it's just it's just really it's really well written and acted right that it's like Michael doesn't want to reveal what happened to him and he doesn't want Dwight to be the one to come get him. And, you know, just like there is, there's an interesting dynamic there with him, like trying to assert the urgency of his yes. uh, situation while also being like kind of coy about what happened. Meanwhile, Pam like starts out, I think genuinely like concerned. Yeah. And then increasingly um, like annoyed and, and uh, you know, um, bemused at how ridiculous uh yeah michael's situation is and you know so i thought that was really um interesting i will say just there are a couple of little details here that hit me uh the opening line is oscar talking about lord of the rings which i didn't have a thing about but i was just thought was interesting going back he says lord of the rings trilogy if you see it back to back it's really long but it's good that's like the first line and i just totally missed that thought it was interesting and he's telling that to jim and i thought oh you know because we've kind of been tracking both when does the show take place in the pop culture world and so lord of the rings but also how how much are the people in the office nerds or normies Mm -hmm. and so i was like oh oscar is like as nerdy here as dwight might be i thought that was interesting yeah you're right um and then I was just going to comment on Jim's shirt, which I hated. Oh, uh, tell us about that. But I think we're supposed to hate it. I don't know. But it's, I'm curious if you have thoughts on this. I, you know, 
when people wear like a button down uh, classic collared shirt, right? Uh-huh. I think uh, you've got your your crisp white. You've mm-hmm. got a blue, you got a like a light blue. Mm-hmm. You've got maybe a royal blue, but less so. And then the kind of the 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 version that I hate the most is like this cream color. This okay. like and it it's yeah. cream closer to yellow than it yeah. is to white. Now you might be thinking, Tyler, aren't you colorblind? And yeah, <laughs> I am. So, but the point is that whatever color it is to me looks yeah. so it looks as if the whole shirt is just pit stains to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really uh, those are the things that hit me in those opening seconds. What about you? I think you're so right about that. I agree. That shirt is not good. It does not draw good things out of his skin tone. It just, it just looks so, um, I don't know, almost like when something is trying to be very neutral and then it goes into sort of like grossly bland kind of neutrality. The other thing I noticed this time is that his outfit is similar to Dwight's, like more similar. Yes. To so he's got the pale yellow shirt and kind of a brown tie that's got yes. a similar pattern. And this is an episode when Dwight is sort of becoming more like Jim and filling a Jim role in the relationship You're right. with him. And Jim is feeling kind of squeezed out of that. And he is looking particularly Dwightish because Jim often wears white and he looks much, much better in white. You are so brilliant. I did not put that together at all, but that's totally what's going on here. Just I watch it 300 that. times, Tyler, and you'll notice. <laughs> yeah, um, so I agree. The clothing is big. What did you think? I mean, my favorite. Okay, so it's a long opening. Um, it is. I meant to actually look at how much time it was because it is. Yeah, it is long. It's quite long. And so we get his initial call, then we get a cut to him. And this is my favorite moment of the whole episode. Yes, read this, please. I enjoy having breakfast in bed. I like waking up to the smell of bacon. Sue me. And since I don't have a butler, I have to do it myself. So most nights before I go to bed, I'll lay six strips of bacon out on my George Foreman grill. Then I go to sleep. When I wake up, I plug in the grill. I go back to sleep again. Then I wake up to the smell of crackling bacon. It is delicious. It's good for me. (laughs) It's the perfect way to start the day. Today I got up, I stepped onto the grill and it clamped down on my foot. That's it. I don't see what's so hard to believe about that. So good. (laughs) It's delicious. It's good for me. This episode, he is eating a lot. Uh, three rotisserie chicken, <laughs> maybe all maybe dark meat. Is this the age of the Atkins diet? Although oh, probably. I to take out all the fat then. But yeah, like the all meat. Yeah, he's eating a lot of meat. Is it just me or is this a great idea? To cook it's bacon such a great meat? idea. <laughs> this actually makes me regret getting rid of my George Foreman grill. Totally. Which is horrible to clean and way too big. It just takes up too much space. So in most aspects, I'm glad not to have it. Um, this is not meant to be an anti-advertisement for George Foreman Grills, but the bacon just seems perfect. Can you imagine how those little ridges in the grill would help kind of cook and crisp up the bacon? And the smell, I love that he calls it crackling bacon. Like there's something yeah. about that. Do you, how do you feel about bacon? Do you like bacon? I do. Yeah, I like it really, really crispy though. Me too. It's yes. got to be. So if I order it at a restaurant, it's kind of 
risky because I'm sort of like, you don't even realize how crispy I want it. I, every time I order, I'm like, I want it really, really, really crispy. And they're like, no worries, we got you. And then it's never fucking crispy. Yeah, or exactly. it's that thick cut bacon, which I realize is supposed to be, you know, gourmet or whatever, but I'm not interested in that. Like I'll eat ham. Thank you very much. Like I'm here for thin, crispy yeah. bacon. Yeah. And yeah. I, like the analogy is, so like Jen really loves burgers, but when she mm-hmm. orders them, she's like, I want this like burnt to a crisp. Like she really wants it like ultra well done, which is oh. why we can never split a burger, but yeah. that's what she wants. And they're always like, oh, okay, sure. No problem. She's like, you really don't understand me. Like, I don't want it yeah, like no juice. Like I want it super well done. And no matter what they always, you know, it's like still pink or whatever, you know, because they're like, well, you have bad taste. And it's like, yeah. But anyway, they I'm with you. I love crispy bacon. Yeah. Yeah, crispy bacon's the best. I love how he says, sue me. <laughs> I yeah. like waking up to the smell of bacon, sue me. I feel like this is just such a very specific, very original morning routine. <laughs> There's something so creative about this use of the Foreman grill. The fact that he sets it up at night, you know, that he gets it all prepared and it's ready, that he plugs in the grill. He uses the grill basically as his snooze setting you know so that it like the smell of bacon wakes him up again when he says that i don't have a butler that's the line (laughs) and since i don't have a butler i have to do it myself (laughs) as if like so many people have butlers making them bacon in the morning (laughs) exactly and Uh, no sense of irony about that line either like or that it's good for me like that felt quintessentially the office to me, or it's like uh-huh. people saying highly ridiculous things with a complete straight face. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting because he's, yeah, because all of this stuff, he is taking it all so seriously, but no one else is taking him as seriously as he wants, except for Dwight. Right. And one we- other line in here, just have to read into the record from this really early part, is when he asks for a ride, First he asks Pam, then he asks Ryan, and there's this pattern in the episode where he keeps asking for help, first from Pam and then from Ryan, rejected by both. Um, But he says, I tried hopping Kevin and I bumped my elbow against the wall and now my elbow has a protuberance. (laughs) Just that word is insane. Um, I was gonna point that out uh, too, because I was like, that's that's one of your favorite bits right like from the last episode too he's when he says words like incorrectly or 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 strange words and he's not quite you know isn't would this be an example of that I think this would be an example and I actually so I put it into my notes and it spell checked it or you know it gave me the red squiggly like the misspelling line so I looked it up because I have not heard this word in any other context the interesting thing is I feel like it still communicates very very clearly what he means yes it is a word, although there's a more common other form of it, like protuberance. I, I can't remember. But this is one of those words that is so, you're right, it's so out of proportion with the context. Like your elbow how it now has a bump on it, but <laughs> protuberance, like this is the word that we're reaching for. Right. It's great. he also wants ryan to bring toilet paper which begs the question for me like why is he out of toilet paper and what does that have to do with his foot 
it might say something about the level of actual emergency here because <laughs> I don't think that you're really thinking about that in the case of a life-threatening injury. Right. Um, you know, it's a burn on a George Foreman grill. It is. Another joke that I love in this this bit too is the um Pam says, why don't you call your girlfriend? And Michael just says, I don't have a girlfriend. <laughs> and Jim says, but you said you went out with her this weekend. It was all made up. Just someone come, okay? Anyone, anyone but toy. What's so funny to me about that is like the conditions under which Michael's um, like ability to lie or, or, or whatever um, like falls apart. You know, like he, it's like he's aware. It's not like he's so good at or committed to it's not so much that he believes his own lies so that he can come up with a lie in this moment. He just is like, yeah, whatever I lied. Like, but because now I have a bigger problem, give me, you know, help me or something. I, I don't know. I don't yeah, have a theory there, but it just was so interesting how quickly he gave up the delusion. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Which maybe makes you realize how he's not just blowing this injury out of proportion to get sympathy. I think like, I think that shows how seriously he is taking this in some ways, yeah. you know? <laughs> he thinks that this is tragic. So um, yeah, go ahead. Should we talk about Dwight? Yes. <laughs> so Dwight, he, Michael does not want Dwight to be the one to get him, but Dwight finds out that Michael's hurt. He is kind of coming in on the conversation late. He finds out, he runs down the stairs, he gets in his car and it's still during this part though, when he's gone, it's all still on the people at the front desk at reception by Pam and Michael's on the phone and they just hear this crash and everybody runs to the window to see that Dwight has crashed his car into the telephone pole and he gets out of the door and sort of starts in this kind of, what would be the word for this? I don't know, he's clearly off, but kind of wobbling toward the back of the car and mm. then he, just throws up like projectile vomits onto the back window of the car. And that makes me laugh so hard every time. And I'm not really into um, like bodily functions humor. Interesting. Puking in shows does not usually make me laugh necessarily, but this, I don't know. There is something about the way that this is done that just really gets me. It's so unexpected, I think. <laughs> Partly because the office tends not to go towards like um, slapstick in a way. Like, yeah. Yeah. not that it never does, but generally it doesn't. And then the, um, yeah. And, and it, it definitely doesn't go to gross out. It's usually more yes. like dialogue based or awkwardness or, you know, it's situational not bodily humor and so and then but it's also what's his face his performance it's like the way that he kind of like you think <laughs> yeah. he's just checking out the car like oh i've gotten in an accident so i'm checking out the car but you know and the way that he throws up it just is like a projectile out of it it's so yeah. damn funny and then that he gets back in the car and drives <laughs> off with the puke on the back <laughs> window there's something i think very interesting about the office's choice to shoot stuff in the parking lot usually from the second floor window like through the blinds yes um because i was kind of like you know 
it they're they do seem genuinely concerned they're like is Dwight okay but they don't like rush out to go help him yeah you're right part of that is because the camera is gonna stay we need to watch it from this this point of view I don't know I Mm -hmm. I don't have something about it but it seems like a thing that repeats that they shoot stuff from that yeah yeah it does and it makes me think there's something that comes off really differently maybe seeing that from the window and from that sort of removed perspective where you also can't hear anything yes that's right side of it you can hear the car crash but you like you don't hear him puking um but you're hearing what's going on inside and watching this kind of tiny distant but dramatic and hilarious thing happening um i'm trying to think is there anything else in that intro before uh oh one other i had one question for you have we did the val have we done valentine's day yet i can't remember there was a valentine's day were you thinking about that little heart pillow yeah i was wondering what that was love you mini pillow on her desk i was wondering about that too have we we haven't seen her receive that have we no okay we don't hear receive it i don't think Hmm. yeah it's kind of uh i don't know it was a mystery to me too is there a valentine's episode that we've watched yet or no i thought we did but you know what maybe we didn't because we've had halloween and we We have not had valentine's day episode 16 is valentine's day okay so when we get there we should check to see if that little pillow comes up because it would be interesting if they shot it in a different order you know like yeah and they revised the order yeah that could be interesting just because i was like wait who's who gave her this pillow? Is it Valentine's Day? Like, yeah, you're right. Know. We should definitely, definitely keep track of that. So then Michael comes to the office, and uh, I was hoping that you would be proud of me uh-huh. because I also did some research this episode. Oh, yes. and like this. Tell me more. Well, uh, we get two different references to cities that Ryan should be driving to to oh, get. Oh, yeah. Okay, Carbondale. Carbondale and Stroudsburg. And okay. so um, uh, now initially I was looking at a different, Stra- I was looking at Stroudsburg as oh. opposed to Stroudsburg with a D. Um, oh. But I, in the script, it's Stroudsburg, which is a 45 minute to an hour long drive <laughs> from Scranton. <laughs> and they, as far as I know, they do not mention the name KFC in the episode, but it seems that that is what we're talking, like the emphasis on the cornbread and stuff. So I double checked. Tyler, I think it was Boston Market. (gasps) Oh, was it mentioned? No, and I was wondering about this because I thought, why do I think so hard that it's Boston Market when it wasn't mentioned? But I think it's the yams. You don't get yams at KFC, right? I did find that strange, I will say. Uh, I did find so so okay. Well, my rotisserie chicken, not fried. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, okay, you're right. You're right. I'm I'm so ashamed uh, because I did look up to see if there was a KFC in Stroudsburg. There is. Oh wow! Uh, I mapped the route, but um, after <laughs> oh my gosh! But anyway, to Carbondale is a 30 minute drive um, in the opposite direction, and so I just kept thinking, okay, so Ryan drove an hour 
one way to get the rotisserie chickens and then back. So that's a two hour <laughs> drive. And then he drove a half hour to and from the gas station. So that's another hour. So that's three hours of his day. Now that doesn't include any other things he may or may not have done for Michael that day. Anyway, I, I um, Wow. Yeah. That is amazing to think about. <laughs> Puts the timeline of this thing in some perspective. What I wanted to ask you about too, this is related to Michael getting set up in that whole room in the conference room. But when he comes in with Dwight, he's walk Michael's walking in on crutches, sweatpants, but he's got the button down shirt on top and the overcoat. He's wearing his basketball shoe. Well, one basketball shoe and his other foot is wrapped in bubble wrap. Mm -hmm. But Dwight is carrying his things and he's coming in with a comforter and pillows and aloe and lotion. I was curious what you thought of that comforter because you had some strong feelings about Jim's comforter. I don't know if you noticed this one. It was kind of a plaid-ish pattern, like a, a blown up kind of printed plaid that I believe was red and white and maybe navy blue. Oh, I just found a picture of it. Yes. <laughs> okay, please. please. It looks up. cozy. I will say that. It's definitely like I don't, you know, the comforter I had in my dorm room. Um, yes, <laughs> that was my thought too. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely what it looks like to me. Is like this kind of thin comforter that you get at Kohl's or whatever, <laughs> and yeah. then you carry it around for decades, uh, and miraculously, people have sex with you. You know, I don't know, but it just is like it's. Yeah, I don't know. The colors are really ugly here. Um, yeah, it does not look good I agree just very very college dorm room he does not look like an adult man with that which comfort. begs the question again like did he go to college or not I don't know if we've really gotten enough that's true answers on that but he calls his mom in this episode oh oh, I, oh. okay so <laughs> you I'm sorry I jumped too far ahead but I just it just seemed you know no let's go there because you had mentioned earlier that he is, I can't remember what you said, crazy, infuriating, something, but also kind of endearing. And yes. I feel like he really just tapped into that with the call to his mom. Yeah, I just thought it was so, I mean, it was great writing too, where it's like, we don't hear the mom, so we're inferring, you know, and it's like, oh, I don't want to uh, call um, Jan, is that her name? Um, yeah. She would because, just worry. Yeah, she'll just worry, which we know isn't true. And then um, <laughs> and he seems to believe that, which is so sweet. And then he's like, have you been talking to Pam? Like, or why are you talking to Pam? It's great. I mean, it does resonate with something that came earlier in that scene uh, that we were talking about where he says to Pam, your job is to be my friend. Yes. And then he's like, treat me like a family member who's had like a severe injury or so something along yes. those lines. Some sort of serious physical trauma. That's I don't it. think that's yeah. too much to ask. And I had forgotten, I'm looking back over the script now that he refuses to take aspirin, which I don't understand why. Are you this way? When you get sick, mm -hmm. are you um, like, do you need attention or, or do you want to isolate? And do you take your drugs or are you like, no, I'm going to, I'm too tough. I'm going <laughs> to. I think I'm of, I think I'm of the too tough category. <laughs> uh, you won't take that ibuprofen. But partly because I 
just really hate taking pills. Like I am a big baby about swallowing them. It just like triggers my gag reflex so hard, especially mm. if they're like kind of bigger ones. I remember getting into this fight with my grandma when I was not old, but she wanted me, I was at her house and I was sick and she wanted me to take this cherry cough syrup. Oof. And I just would not do it. I was such an annoying little brat, I am sure. But I just remember refusing to do it. Um, I think I'm a big tough it out kind of person. And uh, my parents might have gone a little too hard on being tough when sick, but it really worked. It really worked. Wait, wait, tough, tough in what way? Like you, you don't skip school unless you are actively vomiting. Oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. No, you don't, like, we don't not show up with colds, stuff like that. And I have to say, I think it has made me, um, very dependable and COVID is weird because now I'm like, oh yeah, if I get minorly sick, I can't go and do things. Luckily that hasn't really been an issue, but, um, yeah, because it was like you have you are if you have thrown up within the last four hours, you know, then maybe that prevents you from doing the things that you have committed to, but otherwise you show up. Well, I just like the idea that um you're like uh typhoid Megan. You're the reason uh, you know, for the flu and COVID spreading, because you're like, hey, oh, I gotta wow. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> me the cause for COVID. <laughs> We're gonna have to cut this out. Cut, cut, cut. This is an edit. <laughs> but uh yeah, well, I you know, I've I don't know, you know, this is gonna definitely go in my revisions and regrets next time, okay. but I have friends who have made persuasive cases. Uh-huh. Um, and I realize this is gonna be like a reductive gender thing, but that men tend to be big whiny babies when they are sick and like uh, women tend to be, you know, like uh, more grin and bear it kind of thing. And, you know, the reason this being ironic is just, uh, you know, how masculinity presents itself as invulnerable or whatever. And, you know, um, but I will just say this completely uh, uh, is true in my life. Like I am a really big whiny attention seeking baby. And so I was on Michael's side. I was like, Oh, take care of me. I I think there is some, some, some pattern there for sure about a kind of gender dynamic here. I will say too, Dan and I once were traveling. We did this big trip to Italy. It was awesome. And I got sick. And so I tried to hide it from him. (gasps) We were in Rome and it was like, this is a huge trip. I am not missing anything on this trip. So I got sick on the day that we were going to the Vatican. Oh, wow. And the big museum and, and all of this stuff. So I just pretended for the entire day that I was fine. And it was so hot. It was oh. in the summer, you know, when we're off school. It was so hot. And I was so exhausted and feeling horrible. But I just hit it the entire time because I think Dan was my Jan and I was like, Oh, he'll just worry. (laughs) (laughs) That Um, is, did you collapse at the end of the day? Did he find out what happened? Yeah. He eventually found out because that night I couldn't stop coughing ever. And we were in this little old hotel room with very thin walls where I felt so bad for the person next to us because I could not stop coughing. I don't know what the deal was, but 
all this is to say is that I am the opposite of Michael Scott in this way. Um, yeah, Jen is very like, uh, uh, don't talk to me. Don't look at me. Don't touch me. <laughs> I don't need anything. You know, I'm, I am an island unto myself, you know, and I'm like, hold me <laughs> tell you know <laughs> you ask jen to rub country crock on your foot oh my god the country crock the country cro- he wants butter on his feet <laughs> <laughs> which i guess is perfect when he has cooked his foot on the grill and now he's you know adding flavor to it he's adding back the fat that you know burns off that like runs off in the foreman grill but it's flavor. So wait, what is his diet here? Or like, what is the, the point? Is there some symbolism here you want to unpack or some signification around, you know, um, American foods here? Because it's like, okay, he's got bacon, then uh, yeah, rotisserie chickens, yams, cream spinach, cornbread, butter, and then yeah. pudding. Um which yeah. Ryan sneaks the aspirin into. We also get Ryan eating string cheese um, in oh, this episode. Yes. And yes. a reference to Chuck E. Cheese, um, <laughs> which we'll come back to. So yeah, I was just curious, is there any pattern you're discerning in the... Ooh, that's a good point. Is it all food that's very... Well, a lot of what I got, what he has, I guess, is very packaged, kind of. I don't know, like a pudding cup, but I don't know. I will say I always was really enchanted by country crock. (laughs) Why? I don't know why. We never bought country crock. We had regular butter, I think, and one of the other kinds of this sort of soft kind of fake butter too, but I, I don't know why there was this aura to country crock that I really understand when Michael asks Pam to rub butter on his foot and then he says, I've got country crock. Although he does have this open package of butter on the table at one point that is not the brown country crock container, but that's beside the point. I don't know. What do you think about his, the food range that we get here? I don't know. I mean, I guess one joke is definitely like he eats like shit, I guess, you know, that he like everything he wants is like over excessive and terrible <laughs> for him, but he doesn't think that. Um, because we've seen that before with his like wanting the egg McMuffins or something like that or the breakfast sandwiches. Oh yeah, but he takes off the buns because it's healthier. Right. The, wait, it's not a bun on that. What is it? English muffin? Yeah, something like that. Um, <laughs> so I guess part of it is that. Part of it is... Is he a low-carb guy? Because <laughs> he's, he's got the rotisserie chickens, he's got yams and spinach, but he doesn't have... Oh, I guess he does have cornbread. yeah. Okay. Well, then I was like, is it comfort food? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, and um, so when you're sick, you want to eat comfort food, maybe? I don't know. Um, but what a thing to have the context that he sends Ryan a 45-minute to hour drive away to get there for the first time, and then another journey when they don't have the yams. But he, like this, he really wanted this particular food. That's true, yeah. Could have gone, there's got to be a McDonald's within two miles maybe it's like what his mom gave him when he was sick or something you know uh, yeah you know um 
we'll get Boston market or something. I used to eat at Boston market or not used to, but like I've eaten at one, maybe like three times or something. But like, I remember it was when I was still maybe in like middle school or something like that, you know? So, um, like, I don't know that I've seen one around. I mean, maybe they still exist in other places, but up in here, like they don't have them as much. I don't know, but I don't remember hating it. I remember thinking it was fine. I also remember thinking this isn't my favorite like fast yeah. food place I want you know yeah well, I'd rather have Definitely like a, not the best in the fast food category because what I want is like a, a burger and fries yeah. but what I am kind of realizing about Michael and Boston Market if this is Boston Market is that it's not really a place where you get individual meals right it's kind of a family style meal place Right. That whole rotisserie chickens or three of them in Michael's case, and he gets these big containers of spinach and stuff. So it's sort of a community food when he does not have mm-hmm. a community or a family. That's <laughs> definitely part of this, part of what in, is endearing about him too, right? He has nobody to take care of him. Yeah. And he's waking up to have breakfast in bed alone. Alone. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. So, um, yeah. man, this show really does layer like kind of, uh, sadness into its joke yeah. like it's it does um yeah. like the cream in his spinach uh there is there's always something dark and depressing in in the you know that's a tortured yeah. metaphor but i was trying for something um there was a joke here that i thought you would love i was curious okay. if you did uh the bubble wrap uh cast oh yeah that the gym pops Yes. <laughs> and Stanley says it looks like mailboxes, etc. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess Michael is being a really inventive. And in some ways, he's he's taking care of himself with the materials that are available. Um, and being over dramatic, but I don't know. I, I didn't really have anything particularly outstanding about his cast i think i think the butter for me was the top (laughs) outstanding foot treatment for him although i have to say while we're on the food i loved ryan's string cheese (laughs) strategy because he just bites right rather than pulling off the strings he just bites right into the top and doesn't toby say oh wow you just go for it don't you or something like that and he kind of eats it he says you know yeah when i was around 12 or something I just started going for it right 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 which is such a funny have you tried after watching this have you tried to eat string cheese in that way uh I must admit that I have definitely eaten string cheese in that way but not as a not as a result of the show just at it as a result of like laziness and um hunger so what about you I have i I think pulling off the strings is the way to go Yeah, with string cheese, I found, but um, I do always consider it. Like I often have Ryan in my mind when I eat string cheese and I eat string cheese with some frequency. Interesting. Do you have a brand? Uh, just what they have at Costco because it is in the biggest pack. Nice. <laughs> it's a good investment. <laughs> and now every time I look at string cheese in the grocery store, I'm going to think of you like this is yeah. indelibly marked now. That's not the most economical pack at the regular grocery store. You've got to uh, buy in bulk. It lasts a long time in the fridge, I will say. Mm, mm, So, yeah. Michael, as you said, okay, wait, I've got one more thing 
adjacent to the string cheese. And then I think we should get to his conference room meeting. But he goes, so when Ryan is in the kitchen with Toby, they're just kind of standing there talking. Michael comes, opens the door with his crutches or tries to open the door with his crutches. It is so dramatic. And then he goes into the bathroom. And this made me think about your comments about the watching Dwight's car crash from the window because Michael goes in and there is this big crashing sound but all we see is the door so we don't we go into the bathroom a number of times in the office but in this case we stay the camera stays outside and we just have Toby kind of cracking the door and listening and talking to him but there are all of these crashing sounds when Michael <laughs> falls off the toilet and he says I'm caught between the toilet and the wall and he wants someone else. He doesn't want Toby to come help him. So he says, get Pam, get Ryan. He says something like, have him bring a wet towel. He's going to be a little bit. And I thought this was such a funny scene of a kind of physical humor, but that isn't actually physical because you don't see it. You only yes. hear it. Yes. Uh, no, I totally agree. I love I love that when like there are certain things they don't show us. And, you know, I mean, the... the the episode opens that way, right? Where it's like he's yeah. on the phone and he's describing what happened, but we never see it. Um, yeah. Same thing here. And so you get to see Ryan's, re Ryan and Toby's reaction, but Ryan's reaction is just so funny. Yeah. It's like, no, no, no. Yeah. And Toby's like, oh, he's uh, dead. <laughs> it's pure <laughs> deadpan um, reading. Yeah, no, I think it's a great joke. So good. So that, I just find that part to be really, really delightful. But this takes him, so he is feeling very uncared for and like people are not getting it. So that's when he comes out and he's really mad. And he says, do you know what it's like to be disabled? <laughs> and this is when he starts bringing in the language of disability, basically. I think this is the first time he uses that. And it... <sighs> One of the things that struck me watching it this time too was that when he's in the bathroom and he gets caught between the toilet and the wall, the fact that we're not seeing him means that whole time we're just looking at the little bathroom sign mm -hmm. that's got the man image and that's got the wheelchair icon. Oh. And then he kind of goes to that. And so it made me think, and this is me digging in on my claim about this being the great American story, made me think about the sort of American iconography I guess or the sort of imagine the American imagination of the wheelchair and what it sort of means and the way that we get that imagination through Michael who comes out <laughs> and decides to invite the uh building manager Billy Merchant Billy. who is a wheelchair and they like kind of put on this whole session this whole educational session about <laughs> including people with disabilities Oh my God, I love this point that you're making about the iconography of the wheelchair. Uh, because, well, first, I just didn't, I didn't think about that shot at all, but you're totally right. And then um, bringing in Billy and, and Michael so wants the wheelchair to mean something, you know, and he wants to extract this like story of suffering and victimhood and whatever. Yes. And I really thought it was so clever how Billy like, does not go into any of that you know he like actively 
resists it. Um, you know, so the brushing his teeth 30 seconds and Michael's like, Oh, that's so horrible. You know, um, Cause it takes me a third of that time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, or uh, what was the other one? He says like uh, something about, um, you know, I've been in it since I was four. And so I don't really think about it. Yeah. Um, Michael asks, how did you get into your wheelchair? Like wanting his story of injury and his, his, what's the thing he says he wants to be treated as for Pam, a family member who's gone some sort of serious physical trauma. It's like asking about physical trauma. And Billy (laughs) says, "Uh, this morning, just like every morning, just climbed on in. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, 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 not funny, not funny. And Billy says, hey, hey, relax. I'm just joking around here. (laughs) Michael, well, that's good. He still has a sense of humor. (laughs) I think the writing is truly brilliant in the way that and 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 just as sharp, you know, it's it takes up less time than like the diversity day episode or the yeah. um what's another one of those that we've seen, you know, but um but you know, but it gets at the same kind of idea and and it's so clever in showing how like, no, actually we can talk about these things. Um and actually like a uh, person with disabilities can joke about it and and it can be, you know, and people can have different and complicated, you know, um, relationships to their, you know, um, disabilities, et cetera, you know, and, uh, is, is it, but it, and it communicates all that very quickly and yeah. effectively with this character um, and with Michael wanting to turn it into like inspiration porn, which is totally, yeah. you know, the, <laughs> the born on the 4th of July reference or whatever, or Forrest Gump. Um, and he wants to, uh, yeah, like, uh, make it as if the disability is the entirety of this guy's identity or experience or whatever. Yeah. I just thought, man, this is brilliant writing to kind of get across. Yeah. Like a pretty complicated idea about, you know, yeah. how, um, people without, disabilities often try to you know um frame these yeah. stories or whatever yeah 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 and, and of like, course michael parked in the handicap spot so of course <laughs> of course yes which makes billy late as he's as he's coming in but you're right about the way that the idea of um the idea of needing a wheelchair or of going through something physically and losing your ability to walk, it's so much a part also of Michael's own sense of himself in this sort of weird way. And I think he has that image of the wheelchair as like giving somebody the sort of perfect blend of being a victim and a hero, Mm -hmm. which goes to your mention of the born on the 4th of July reference Mm -hmm. and he says so Billy does not go along with his thing and he doesn't fit either being a dramatic victim or some kind of grand hero he's just kind of a guy and then it kind of cuts to that interview where Michael says I thought he'd be more like the guy in born on the 4th of July so have you seen that movie I saw it you know when I was like 14 or 15 or something like that I just remember it being very very depressing but I don't remember like I barely remember the plot I I kind of want to see it I'm curious now but I looked it up I watched the trailer and also did some Wikipedia research and it seems like it's this story of kind of tremendous suffering and triumph of the spirit and 
so what I found is that it's about, it's played by Tom Cruise and it's mm-hmm. a guy who grows up really wanting to be in the military and particularly the Marines. And he goes to Vietnam and he gets wounded and becomes paralyzed and has to use a wheelchair. And over time he gets increasingly scruffy. <laughs> if you just watch the trailer for it, like his hair gets all long, he gets a mustache. This is not a good look for Tom Cruise, but that's beside the point for now. But he ends up becoming a war protester. Mm -hmm. And I saw it's based on an autobiography about a real guy. But with Michael, like those, so those stories exist. There was the man who that happened to who wrote the story and then the movie came. But it's just so out of proportion, that kind of victim of tragedy and triumphant hero combination, just so out of proportion with real regular human beings. Mm -hmm. Um, but very important to Michael. And then I thought the kind of funny thing is that it turned out that Dwight actually was both victim and hero. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. So he's he's the one who saves Michael, who endangers himself, who goes out and sacrifices for his leader. And when eventually his head falls, so Billy's actually the one who notices and tells Jim I think he has a concussion because he's raising his hand without realizing it during the meeting. And there's just yeah. been weird behavior. We should probably talk about his weird behavior, but um, eventually his head falls onto his desk. And it's not until that happens that Jim who knows about the concussion because Billy told him and he's done nothing about it. But so that's when Jim says, okay, we should probably take him to the hospital. And he right. is walking out and he's got his arm. Like Jim is kind of carrying him out. And he starts making this sound and Jim asks him what it is. And he says, Vietnam sounds. So <laughs> he's making the sound, I think, that's supposed to be the helicopter yeah. kind of coming in for him. You know, he yeah. is this wounded soldier getting carried out. And so interestingly, I just felt like Dwight sort of turned into the victim hero that Michael wanted Billy to be and wanted to be himself. And he wanted to be treated with that kind of reception that is truly truly brilliant i never i i barely noticed the helicopter sounds um or whatever i do it doesn't he say something like what does he say um anyway i i i missed the the vietnam reference i think that that is just so brilliant i do think um that you are helping underscore that like Jim sucks in this episode I mean they all kind of suck this is my to go back to our initial reading of the summary like everybody in the office watches Dwight in the accident and throw up and Michael didn't you know so this idea that like Michael's attention seeking is distracting everybody from the reality of Dwight's injury I guess like but it doesn't really feel that way in the plot because it's not as yeah. if everybody, I don't know. It's nobody seemed that concerned with Dwight in the first place. Um, yeah. And and no one's that concerned about Michael either. Right. So it's almost not like their attention is getting drawn away from Dwight even. It seems like they might be choosing it. Yeah. And I guess you could say, Oh, you know, Michael overplays his injury. And so they're just inert or whatever to anybody being injured, but it doesn't read that way either. Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't read like boy who cried wolf 
and then Dwight is like, hey, help me. And then they don't listen to him. It doesn't read like that. So um, it's almost as if they don't notice that Dwight is being weird and that that's the joke. The joke is that um, he's being nicer and then increasingly strange. Um, Yeah. uh, But yeah. um, Yeah. Because is Jim the first one actually who notices that something is off because Dwight is being nice to Pam? Yeah. Jim asks, oh, what is it that Jim asks? Something about, I don't know, is he being weird? Like, is Dwight being weird today? And Pam says, he's actually been really nice and helpful. And Jim says something like, isn't that strange? I thought it was interesting that you said at the top that, like, Jim is feeling a little, like, pushed out. Mm -hmm. Um, I was kind of curious to hear more about that. Yeah. So... I thought about that when Dwight is up at Pam's desk because she's gotten, this also connects back to the Christmas episode. Yes. The iPod. And uh, Roy was supposed to get her the iPod, but he got her basically the knockoff version, which is called the Prism Durosport. (laughs) And Dwight notices it and he says like, oh, is that a Prism Durosport? He says something about it being more solid and chunky or something like that. And he gives her this case for it that makes it indestructible. He tells her about this website, this Russian website where she can download songs for two cents. He jokes that all the songs are in Russian. And she at first (laughs) rolls her eyes thinking, okay, this is a ridiculous Dwight thing. But then it turns out he was being witty. So he's being both, he's being helpful. He's being fun. He's being funny. He does this sort of, hand tap on the desk that's a very gym kind of move as he walks away and so I feel like as soon as Jim sees that I think he feels a little threatened by it yeah no I see that I definitely see that and it almost is like not flirty but like yeah you, you can she feels I, can, I actually wrote in my notes I was like what what makes Dwight a friend now? Like I actually went back to your like gift exchange um, yeah. theory during the Christmas episode. Uh-huh. And I, cause she says, no, Dwight isn't my friend. She's like, oh my God, Dwight's my friend. And I was like, well, why? Because they were nice. No, because he did something for her and, or he like helped her with something. And that's something that friends do or, but on the other hand, she doesn't really reciprocate. Um, does she? Yeah. That's really interesting. What makes, yeah, so what makes a friend? What makes Dwight a friend? And there's a sort of strange relationship defining language there that I, I don't know. And like, she's coming to this realization, Dwight is kind of my friend. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. They just had this sort of nice interaction at the office. I guess what, where's the line between a kind of friendly office acquaintance and a friend? Yeah, I, that's really, we should, we should keep track of that because the show kind of blurs it too, or maybe addresses it with Jim and Pam, right? Where it's like, are they friends? Could they be more? What's the difference? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there's, you know, what would be nice is, you know, if the show has any recognition that women and men can be friends without necessarily having romantic um, Uh 
desire or whatever. Uh, but anyway, now that you're m- making me think about it, though, it's like, what is the defining feature of Pam and Jim's friendship? Mm-hmm. It is. That's a good question. I mean, Jim, I think, would say, you know, that he listens to her and he likes talking to her and all of that. But I do think the biggest dynamic, as we've said, is like they're joking. It's the pranking and the joking. And so that's what Dwight does. He says the covers are totally indestructible. Throw it. I promise it won't break. She does. He says, oh, it's broken. And then he's like, no, it's cool. I told you it wouldn't break. You could throw it all day long. So it's like kind of a, oops, I dropped my water. It's kind of a, um, like a, a joke that, that borders on flirtation right or something not yeah. i don't know i don't mean to push that too far but it's like because it's uh, very playful playful yeah that's it that's yeah. it huh so maybe that's what makes them friendly or friends i don't know yeah yeah and that's because we've kind of talked about the way that that really is the intimacy that jim and pam have that she does not have with roy in the yeah. same way and it feels like then it's kind of Jim's special territory in some ways with maybe all of the implications of that term of it being his territory. Right. He kind of has these feelings about it. Like that is his spot to lean on You're right. that kind of counter at the, at reception. He's literally been that. displaced. Yeah. 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 And he's wearing this Dwightish outfit. <laughs> they then go just thinking about these sort of configurations of the relationships and friendships in the story, because when they go to the hospital, first of all, the thing, they go in Meredith's van and <laughs> Michael calls shotgun as they're going out to the car. And then in his little interview, it cut, so Michael calls shotgun, which is so inappropriate when they're yeah. taking <laughs> really funny. the hospital. But then Michael explains, the rules of shotgun are very simple and very clear. The first person to shout shotgun when you're within sight of the car gets a front seat. That's how the game's played. There are no exceptions for someone with a concussion. (laughs) (laughs) That tone. It is total chaos as they're in the van because Dwight finds a bottle of liquor underneath the seat and starts opening it to drink it. And Michael is screaming at him from the front seat to try to get the bottle away confirming that he should have sat in the back with Dwight. And Jim has this water spray bottle who's spraying them both to get them in line. But all that was an on-ramp to where I wanted to go, which was about the hospital. So they go from the screaming in the van to suddenly a really quiet scene that's at the hospital. And Michael asks, what should I write under reason for visit? <laughs> God. I love it. He says bringing someone to the hospital. Jim tells him concussion and he starts to scratch it out. And Jim asks, so Jim asks, what did you write? And he says, I wrote bringing someone to the hospital. So you thought they meant your reason for coming to the hospital. (laughs) And Michael says, no, you know what, Jim, this isn't about me anymore. (laughs) I made a miraculous recovery, which is more than I could say for him. Miraculous recovery. I love that. I love that. And it's Jim who knows Dwight's middle name as Michael's filling out the form. So Jim both can tell him, put concussion. But he's also the one who knows that Dwight's middle name is Kurt. And now, he yeah. hates himself for knowing that. Did you catch the movie reference here? Because Dwight no. says danger is his middle name. No, what is that? It's from Austin Powers. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, that is funny. So I thought that was pretty good that like Dwight is quoting Austin Powers when he, or at least, or maybe he believes it in that moment, either way. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's like Austin, uh, or he says danger is my middle name, you know, is famously in Austin Powers, but. Oh, that's um, so funny. I didn't catch that. The, I feel like there's so much stuff like that, including the reference to the 4th of July. Um, what was that called again? Born on July. July, where you can get by and understand the show and find it hilarious and delightful and all of that. But there are all of those things too, that as I start to research some of them, for example, and I look at what Born on the 4th of July is, you get some idea from the reference, but it's really, really interesting because they're very thoughtful. I think some of those kind of references once you get into them even the the call back to the ipod you know and it's yeah. like you they're not going to explain you know but but if, yeah. if you don't haven't seen the christmas episode you have enough to know uh, roy her partner or whatever fiance got her this off-brand thing and dwight says like oh it's better than ipad because it's like chunkier and <laughs> heavier or something like you know it's like yeah. which yeah. is clearly like worse you know yeah. um you're so, right. And it reveals something about Roy in that yeah. moment. But if you don't, yeah, if you don't have the context, you don't know that and it doesn't really matter. It's fine without it, but it just adds some more to it. It is a rich text. I found it odd that Jim takes him to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, you're helping me to see part of what's going on there is just this ro- role reversal um, and how I mean, I do think this is kind of interesting how sickness or trauma can kind of disrupt boundaries or reorganize them in certain ways. And so Jim's nemesis is now now more like his child, you know, or his pet because he's spraying yeah. with a spray bottle like like a cat um, <laughs> or, a, or a child, you know, you're trying to like, you know, put the bottle down, don't do this, you know, yeah. um, he knows the middle name. <laughs> uh, and he's like so sad that I know that. So, so it's kind of interesting to me how Jim's role in this episode, like he's kind of non-existent until the end. And yeah. it's also interesting too that, like, in terms of boundaries and stuff, we this is you know one of the fewer times that we leave the office and we go to another institutional space, mm-hmm. which I always love when the characters interact with people in public, like. Billy Merchant, you know, is somebody from the outside who comes in. In this context, though, they go outside this. And and so, like, the doctor or the, uh, what's the, um, yeah, the doctor who's like, yeah, obviously a head injury is worse. And then the lab tech and the person doing the CAT scan, all of them are like, you know, it's like, don't know what to do with Michael's stupidity. I love it so much when Michael asks the doctor, which is more serious, a foot burn or a head injury? And the doctor <laughs> just says something like, definitely a head injury. And Michael's like, well, maybe you don't have all the information, <laughs> you know, as if he gives a little bit more information about <laughs> the seriousness of his burn. It will turn out that he is the real victim here <laughs> and the person who right. has experienced the greatest trauma. So I just loved how clear-cut it was how much Michael wanted a particular answer and how clear-cut the answer for the doctor was that he was wrong 
And Dwight also manages to get in a great, that's what she said. So he's, he, he's still yeah. both the traumatic fire from Michael as well as his, his humor. So good. And then, thought, oh yeah, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Just that it was so interesting that around this scene, uh, Michael takes off the microphone. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know if we've yeah. seen that occur. Uh, I should do a better job of keeping track across these episodes, but that was really unusual and interesting to me where it was like, again, calling attention to the documentary element that there are spaces that the cameras can't go. There are limits to what we can hear. And I really enjoyed the payoff of that too, where it's like he's in the room where Dwight is getting the cat scan to essentially like comfort him. Right. And he's kind of like touching his foot or something or, um, you know, and then of course, Michael like uh, does his, does Michael and puts his foot in the thing. Um, and so they're like, stop doing that or whatever. But um, yeah, I just, I was like, oh, that's a really interesting yeah. form of choice, you know? Yeah. That's actually exactly where I was going to go to. Yeah. That moment when he has to take the mic off. And so it goes silent there. And there, you pointed out the ways that an injury or a health scare or something like that changes the boundaries. And so it feels like going in there with Dwight too is really intimate in some ways and kind of breaks the office boundaries to go be with someone who is hurt and is in this scary situation. And as we're looking through the window, you're right. There's this moment when Michael is standing at Dwight's side and it seems very tender sort of but then he picks up his foot and he tries to stick his foot in so that his foot can get scanned too so he he undercuts it but there is this i don't know this other layer yeah yeah he has yeah i mean i guess that's how they hook you right it's like he has the capacity for sweetness or self-reflection or something i mean it's really interesting to me that jim doesn't get that moment it makes sense because this is really michael's day mm-hmm. um, but jim kind of drops in and out of this episode whereas yeah. pam doesn't pam is center stage at the very beginning she's the one taking the phone call then michael's annoyed at her then um you know uh at the very end she's the one communicating dwight's fate to angela and she does it surreptitiously and uh, it's a it's a gesture of thoughtfulness. Um, I don't have a point about it. Just I was like, oh man, this is it's 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 good writing, and I agree with you too about the kind of subtlety of it. It it remind you know there are a lot of references and nods and things like that. Um, but it reminds me, or it's like an interesting contrast to like Thirty Rock, which was a show that mm-hmm. I really liked, and similarly, you know, meta and like referential, but it's that show is so much more about the repartee and the and the um, highly reflexive, like drawing attention to the references. Um, yeah. Whereas this, I feel like there's more, it's way more understated. Um, so like you said, you can, you can kind of get it and enjoy it without necessarily needing to mm-hmm. know those things. Um, uh, just an interesting contrast, because I think this show is probably much more popular, um, or it seems still to be. Hmm. We could explore that on our Side Branch 30 Rock podcast. That's going to be our sequel, right? <laughs> I was thinking about 30 Rock because 
Um, uh, did, did you did you watched it too, right? Oh yeah, yeah, I love it. Tracy Jordan is he's gonna do like a George Foreman grill, right? Oh, and I forgot that. What's it called? The um, the the what's it called? It has like a great, really funny name. Huh. Um, and he yeah. passes on it, I think, and then somebody else takes it over. Um, oh, that's so funny. What you is should it research called? that for us for next time. Yeah, I will. I will. Um, right, so you're going to have a couple of revisions and regrets for us. <laughs> and shall we move to the Dundies? Let's do it. Yeah. I'm going to need you to go first because full disclosure, I forgot to pick a Dundee and I am really struggling with this one. Oh, this was so easy for me. Really I'm excited about it. Okay. <laughs> Our listeners may be thinking he's going to say Billy Merchant. Oh, please. Billy did nothing in this episode besides point out that Dwight has a has a concussion. Um, no, there is one clear Dundee winner in this episode, and it is uh, for uh, heroic um, uh, uh, crushing of medicine into pudding. And that award goes to Ryan. Uh, uh, I thought he was, uh, he, he, he stood up and he said, you know what, I'm going to get the aspirin in this guy one way or the other. And he was genuinely like pleased that it worked in the same way that he gives it to his dog. Right. Um, And, uh, and he drove as we've discovered at least three hours. And I don't think he's getting reimbursed on the gas. Like I don't think he has a per diem and he's not borrowing Michael Sebring to do it. So, you know, I felt like, oh man, you know, three hours with gas in this economy. No, you know, he's definitely a, He's a Dundee winner for sure. So he for that's above and beyond heroic medical care, let's say that's what it's for. Yeah. Okay. I think that I am also going to give a heroism award today and I'm going to give it to Dwight K. Schrute. Ah! I feel like Dwight just is multifaceted and it comes out here. He really cares about his co-worker and he will drive with a concussion because of it. I feel like I can relate to him on that. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think he was just, he was just kind of an interesting delight in this episode. So that is it. Fantastic. I love it. Well, uh, we will be back uh, very soon with the next episode, which I'm really intrigued by the title. It's called, is it the secret? Is that the next episode? Yeah, I believe so. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering what that whose secret and what who and will it be kept? Probably not. <laughs> we will find out. Thank you for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye.